Second readings, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Well, good morning, Mossman Village Church. Great to see you all. Good to be with you. We are starting a new sermon series. There's a fairly detailed outline there. Let me encourage you to take some notes. If you find yourself fading, just grab a red snake and that'll keep you going to the end. Let me pray for us and then we're going to turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. We again pray for your spirit to work in our hearts now. Help us to hear your voice, believe your word, find joy in it and obey it as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, an American pastor called Rick, Pass, Rick Warren, I've got a very big ring down here, Ben, I don't know if other people can hear it. Um, a guy called Rick Warren wrote a best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, anyone seen that before? Yep, it was around a while ago now. It's a short, uh, 40 short chapters which are meant to be read consecutively over 40 days. It's a good, good way to kick off your devotional life if you're looking for something to do. And the subtitle of the book, as you can see there, is What on Earth Am I Here For? Which of course is a great question and one which most of us uh, wrestle with from time to time as we try to find really what is the meaning of life for us. One thing is for sure, none of us want to live a pointless life. When we get to the end of our days, we all want to look back and go, yep, it was worth it. I lived a life that did have meaning and purpose. One thing that seems very clear is that if we're going to live a life with purpose and meaning, then we need to be living for something more, something grander than just ourselves. Which means that if our life is to have meaning and purpose, then it must in some way or somehow be connected to God, the one who created us in the first place. Now, you know as well as I do that sadly many in our world ignore God and deny his existence and then wonder why life is so difficult and doesn't have much sense of meaning or purpose for them. Well, of those people, one commentator said this, If there is no God, then man and the universe are doomed. Like prisoners condemned to death, we wait our unavoidable execution. There is no God and there is no immortality. And what is the consequence of this? It means that life itself is absurd, 
It means that the life we have is without ultimate significance, value or purpose. Well, the Bible from beginning to end paints a picture of humanity's um, search for meaning and purpose and it is ultimately inextricably tied to God. And this is exactly what we're going to find as we turn to these chapters in Genesis and even beginning today in chapter 12 as we begin this series, Gripped by Grace. And what we're going to discover in this series is that if our lives that have any chance of having meaning and purpose, then they must align with God's divine purpose and plans for his world that he has revealed to us. And the way to guarantee you live a pointless life on the other side of things is to live outside of God and in opposition to his revealed purposes. And so the question we want to wrestle with a little bit today is, does my life and the way I'm living align with God's revealed plans and purposes in the world or not? Big question, I know. And what we're going to see is that purpose in life is not determined so much by what you do and where you do it, but with whom you do it and why you do it. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, with the opening of this chapter, we are given front row seats to God's greatest show on earth, if, you'd like, if I can put it that way. Here in Genesis 12, we are invited to sit in the front row of God's revealed plans and purposes for his world. And this is the beginning of what's called salvation history, where we once again see the great God who created the universe by the power of his word begins a mighty work of redemption also by the power of his awesome word when he calls Abram. And before we get to that, a little bit of background and context. If we turn to Genesis chapter 11 verse 27, you'll see we are told this is the account of Terah's family line. Now, these are the sorts of bits you normally skip over, but it's helpful to recognise that's the way the Bible is told in terms of family lines. But it's not just there. If you look at it, it comes up in other places. Chapter 5, verse 1, we're told about Adam's family line. Then in chapter 6, verse 9, Noah's family line. Then in chapter 10, Sham, Ham and Japheth and the sons of Noah. Then in chapter 11, the account of Shem, from whom comes Terah's line, from whom comes Abram. Now again, we skip over those bits because they seem pretty dreary and just lots of names. But you know what they all have in common? All those family lines, there is one thing that really binds them together. Disaster. Absolute disaster. Abject failure culminating in death. And so if we quickly revise the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I've called it the human disaster story. It all began very well, as you remember, with creation and paradise with a lovely young couple called Adam and Eve who decided they could do things better and live independently of God and reject his rule in their life. And it had catastrophic consequences. And so then we follow along and so the corruption and de decline of humanity continues through those chapters 3 verse 5. Then the next calamitous event is the flood in chapters 6 through 9. We know that story fairly well. We're told that Noah was a righteous man, but a drop in the bucket, as you might say, but living amongst a reckless humanity, and so God decides to start afresh and he destroys the earth by flood. And then just when we think there might be some glimmer of hope, we come to the Tower of Babel. You might remember that in Genesis chapter 11. 
where we see humanity's commitment to live without God reaches new heights, literally in the building of the Tower of Babel, as they try to reach into the heavens so that they might make a name for themselves. And so you might remember when we looked at that chapter, it was all about an arrogant assault on heaven itself, and yet we saw that God has to come down to see this pathetic attempt uh, making a name for themselves and deification. And so the futility of independent human endeavour is on full display in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's really the story of self-centred humanity that follows a depressing pattern of independence, God's judgment and ultimately death. Great story, isn't it? I mean, would there be any hope for a fallen and scattered humanity? That's sort of where we get to at the end of chapter 11. But then we are introduced to a significant person who will play a pivotal role in God's plans and purposes. Chapter 11, at the end there, it says this, Terah took Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, Lot, his grandson, and they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, if you've got good eyesight, you can see the map. Uh, Ur's down the bottom right-hand corner, and they travel up the Tigris or the Euphrates rivers. You wouldn't survive if you got very far away from that. It's just desert everywhere, so you've got to stick to the river path. Head up there, and Haran's up the top there before they ultimately get down into Canaan. But you might be interested to note that Haran was a prosperous large city of about 250,000 people at that time. Had a large ziggurat as the central place of worship. And yet it's from here that God plucks a man from obscurity, takes him on a journey that will change the course of human history and he promises this man blessings beyond compare. Now, if you think of the backdrop here, that disastrous first 11 chapters, you've got to ask yourself, why? Why would God do this? Like, really? Why don't you just wipe your hands? Well, a world of people who mock God, defy him and reject him, and yet here he is promising them blessing. Now, at one level, it's unexplainable. It's almost incomprehensible. But as we shall see, there's one explanation, and it's because this God is a God of astounding grace. And we've seen glimpses of God's grace in the disaster of the first 11 chapters. God clothed Adam and Eve when they were expelled from the garden. That was a beautiful act of grace. The saving of Noah and his family in the flood. There was an example, of, again, of God's grace in the context of judgment. And as Genesis 12 opens, we see God's grace on a whole new scale because as we're going to see throughout this series, God promises blessing not just to Abram, but to the whole world. I don't know about you, but I think we often struggle to understand this concept of grace, which is why Andy gave that little lesson to the kids earlier. Uh, we live in a world where you get what you deserve. And I don't think we really can understand fully or seem to appreciate what grace is all about. Grace means giving people what they don't deserve, which is what Andy told the kids. Grace means giving them what they have no right to expect. And grace means giving them the opposite of what they deserve. That's not the sort of world we live in. And God, in his astounding grace, calls a pagan man called Abram from a foreign city and he promises to bless him and the whole world. So let's have a look at these significant promises. Chapter 12, verse 1. 
The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God does an amazing thing here. He promises to give Abram a place when he says, go to the land I will show you. God promises to make him into a large people group. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. He promises his presence and protection when he says, I'll make your name great and I'll bless you and curse those who curse you. And finally, God reveals his ultimate purpose in calling Abram, as he says, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I hope you like the letter P. You might recall, though, that when we studied Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we had a picture of the kingdom of God. And when we looked at that cha those chapters, we said, here's an image of the way God intended things to be in the perfect world he had created for humanity, where people were meant to be the centrepiece. And we summarised that by saying it's God's people living in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And that version of the kingdom of God, as we know, was spoilt by sin and yet God's commitment remains. And in the call of Abram, we see God's unwavering resolve to redeem a people for himself. And if we want to align our lives with God's plans and purposes, then we must recognise that here we have clearly laid out for us what God is doing in the world and it all began with the call of this man called Abram. The second thing I want you to note about this is that God has obligated himself in this covenant. God binds himself to its fulfilment irrespective of human endeavour or faithfulness. He does not say, as he does in later covenants, if you do this, I'll do this, but if you do that, well then that's what I'm going to do. The Mosaic covenant in the giving of the law, it's exactly like that. It predicates Israel experiences God's blessing on their obedience. And if they were disobedient, then the curses of the covenant would come into play for them. But this covenant with Abram puts all the obligations of God. If you were talk, taking out in, uh, insurance risk, well then all the risk here is on God's side. All Abram is called to do is to go. And as we'll see later on, he does stumble even in doing that as he stops in Haran for a number of years. But in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God says at least four times, I will, I will, I will, I will. You might remember that's exactly what you say in your marriage vows. This is what he is going to do. God is committed to these promises come what may. It's also worth noting that God asks Abram to give up a lot when he calls him. He asked him to leave a land he knew, a people and culture he was comfortable in and a lifestyle that was very prosperous. And yet, despite that, God promises to give him these very same things, the things he asked him initially to leave behind, but he promises to give him place, people and presence. But the difference is that God promises to give these in absolute abundance overflowing on a scale beyond measure. God's blessings always exceed anything that we could imagine or ask. And so it was for Abram. 
Now, one of the sad features of futile human endeavour is that we are obsessed with making a name for ourselves. Don't you thought about this lately? When you look at the rich and famous in the world, it's not difficult to conclude that much of what they do, despite the rhetoric and possibly even good intentions, is that their primary concern is to make a name for themselves. You know, the social media phenomenon of TikTok and Instagram is all about ordinary people using social media to get as many followers as possible to become known and make a great name for themselves, which usually means money. That's the name of the game. You'll be pleased to know I've still only got 87 Instagram followers. But lest you think I'm unfairly picking on these people, let me suggest that the same is true of each of us. It's true of us. We long to be noticed. We desperately want to be given recognition and affirmation for the things we do. When you think about it, when do you get most upset with other people? Isn't it usually when someone threatens our sense of identity or our good name? I mean, we don't mind having a name made for ourselves. I mean, hand up if you'd be disappointed if your name appeared on the Australia Day Honours list. Oh, no, take it back. I don't want that. We would be very humble, I'm sure, but we'd accept the award. So the beautiful thing about God's promise to Abram is that he promises to give him and through him and also to us that very thing we crave but cannot attain by futile human endeavour. Remember back in chapter 11 of Genesis, the driving force behind the building of the Tower of Babel was so that they could make a name for themselves. And it was an abject failure. God judged them for it, as ultimately all our efforts to make a name for ourselves will also be judged because they stem from sin and human pride. But look at what God in his mercy says he will do for Abram. He says simply, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. What a contrast to the Tower of Babel. Trying to make a name for themselves and go, nah, God says that, not with that. And yet God promises to Abram he is going to make his name great. It's amazing. And friends, if you want to make your name great, the only way is if your life is aligned with God's great name and purposes in Jesus Christ. That's how to make your name great. Because then, your name and my name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that is the best thing that could possibly happen for any of us. Well, the last thing to note about these promises is that they are global in scope. God says to Abram that all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God has a grand plan for his world. It's global in its dimensions. And his plan is to make one united nations out of all the peoples of the earth. His plan is to make one glorious people out of all the sin-filled cultures of the world. And he plans to do it through this one man, Abram, and ultimately Jesus Christ. But this global vision is not completed just yet. However, because of Jesus, we know where it will end. And I'm sure you know these verses well. Philippians chapter 2. We're told God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name. Oh, there's that word again. That is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And then there's that beautiful passage in Revelation chapter 7, a glimpse of the final fulfilment of this promise to Abram to bless the whole world. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. How awesome. And this far-reaching plan of God has for this world and it all begins with this one man, Abram, who responds with inspiring obedience. Chapter 12, verse 4, it says, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Anyone 75 years and older here who wants to go on a long journey through the desert on a donkey? Probably not. I'm younger than that and I don't want to do it. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there at that time. The Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now while the primary focus of this passage and all of them through Genesis is really on God, it's difficult not to see that Abram demonstrates a number of qualities that God would probably expect of anyone who would claim to be his disciple or follower. And the first thing we want to note is that he trusted God's word. God said go and was simply told without fanfare, so Abram went. And I think the thing we need to take away is that the point is that keeping in step with God's plans and purposes is simply about obedience to God's word. Adam and Eve and all their ancestors up to the current day show us the consequences of not heeding God's word. And I'm sure we could share some disaster stories in our own lives of the futility of human endeavour without God's blessing. One of my favourite proverbs, maybe yours as well, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And Jesus himself said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. See, at the heart of being a disciple of the God of the Scriptures, the God who calls us to himself through Jesus, is the call to trust and obey his word. Abraham reminds us that faith in the promises and the word of God are truly our only hope. But we're also reminded that this life of faith is a journey that involves uncertainties and even insurmountable obstacles. Abraham had been given these promises of a place and people, God's presence and protection. But humanly speaking, if you look at the story here, it looks impossible for them to ever be fulfilled. For example, he is told that God is going to make him a great nation. And yet back in chapter 11, verse 30, we're reminded of human frailty when it says, Now Sarai was childless because she was unable to conceive. Well, that's a bit of a hiccup, isn't it? How on earth are you going to make this man into a great nation from his own flesh and blood when his wife can't even have children? Just a minor detail, really. Or what about God's incredible promise to give him a place, a land, a particular land called Canaan, which in verse 6 we're told, 
at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Well, that's a bit of a hiccup too, isn't it? But wait, there's more. Not only is his wife barren, not only is there a hostile nation occupying the land, God caps it off by saying to him, to your offspring I will give this land. In other words, Abram himself will never actually see the fulfilment of these promises, but his offspring will. How do you think you would respond to that sort of news? It's a great offer, God, really good. <laughs> but I'm happy here in Iran and I won't even get to see all this take place. Ugh, thanks, but no thanks. See, we're reminded right from the start that being a person of faith and walking in God's purposes does not guarantee an easy journey. But it does mean trusting his word implicitly, recognising that there will be many uncertainties in the life of faith. But that's why it's called faith. It's out of our control. It's only God who can do it. But thirdly, a life of faithful obedience requires single-minded devotion and putting that faith in God's promises into action. I mean, did you notice that the first thing Abram does as an act of devotion and faith is to build an altar to the Lord right there in Shechem? It's one of those details, you say, oh, that's nice. He builds an altar there. It's like putting a stake in the ground. This is the land. Then he travels across the country and he builds another altar to the Lord, this time between Bethel and the city of Ai, which is the very place where his ancestors would one day enter the land under the leadership of Joshua. So here is a land full of pagan gods and Abraham makes it very clear to his newfound neighbours that he believes the promises and the practical outworking of that is by building these altars and worshipping the God who has called him with unreserved, single-minded devotion. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Has a few stumbles later on, but it's pretty impressive. Well, with the beginning of salvation history in Genesis 12, we are confronted by God's astounding grace, with God's incredible commitment to rescue humanity from the futility of his own efforts. I mean, we could summarise it by saying, for God so loved the world that he called Abram. Doesn't sound quite right, does it? But that's what we see here. Abram was going to be the founding father of God's plans and purposes in the world. A plan that would involve, once again, God's people being in God's place, living under God's rule and enjoying God's blessings. And it is this call of Abraham and the fulfilment of those promises which you and I know reaches its climax in the coming of the Lord Jesus, of whom we are told, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, I'm sure we all want to live a life of meaning and purpose. Purpose for us is found when we are living in God's place, under God's rule, and experiencing God's blessing. And this is freely available to us all when we put our lives in the hands of the seed of Abraham, the one man who comes in fulfilment of God's gracious promises, the Lord Jesus. And I hope you've done that. And if we are to experience God's blessing and align ourselves with his purposes, then at the very least, 
It will involve us trusting God's word, embracing the uncertainties that God allows in our journey and that will then force us to exercise faith and then live with undivided devotion to the one true Lord and King who is Jesus Christ. That's a life of purpose. That's a life of meaning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, the scriptures have been recorded for our benefit to bless us, to teach us, to help us know you, where you and your character are revealed and your plans and purposes made known. Lord, we thank you that we can begin this series. Please continue to give us joy in our hearts as we open your word. And Lord, help us to embrace your word, whether sometimes it's a hard word or not. But thank you, Lord, that meaning and purpose is your plan for us in your Son. So go with us this week. Help us to align our lives with you, Lord, that we might indeed bring honour to you and be a blessing to others. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.